The following message is part of our Fall 2020 large group series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5-7, through 7, and each week we're looking at Jesus' introduction to what it means to follow Him as He brings the Kingdom of Heaven, and we're considering together what that means for our relationship with Him and with one another. We talk about this in community groups that meet weekly where people gather together to discuss these messages and pray with and for one another. If you're interested in joining one, please send an email to Andrew Shank at andrew.shank at ruf.org. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the Beatitudes and at Jesus' emphasis on weakness as a prerequisite, as a condition of following him. Without admitting our poverty of spirit, without admitting that we're at the end of our rope, we won't feel any need for Jesus. In our passage this week, Jesus continues that theme, but it's a little harder to see. Uh, listen as I read for us Matthew 5, verses 17 through 22, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Let's pray. Father, these are difficult words. They seem, seem extreme. They seem severe. Uh, but we know that they're true, for they come from one uh, who is both God and who loves us. I pray that we would see his love for us and his invitation to us, even in these difficult words. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus, in this passage, starts off by talking about the importance of the law. And by that, he means the Old Testament law, especially the Ten Commandments. He says it's still in force in his day. He's not come to abolish them. They were given 1,500 years before Jesus through Moses, and they continue today. They're, they stay in force until heaven and earth pass away. So the law is not going anywhere. And, and Jesus says it still applies to us. So in verse 19, he says, don't relax it. Don't say, oh, that's outdated, or don't worry about that part. Instead, he calls us to obey it and to teach it. And then he says this in verse 20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying that, that radical obedience to God's law is still required of us. There was actually a group of people in Jesus' day that already lived like that. And they were called the scribes and the Pharisees. They lived under a principle of strict obedience to God's law. They went so far as to set up extra rules around God's law to make sure that they didn't break it. 
There was no one more serious about obeying God than the scribes and the Pharisees. When it came to their actions, they were beyond reproach. You could not fault them for anything. You would not be able to look at their lives and see any discrepancy between what they did and what the law said. So imagine being one of them, or, or, or maybe you know someone like that who, who lives their life to the T, who lives their life meticulously and in great obedience to God's law. And, and you hear Jesus talking about the importance of the law and, and the scribes and Pharisees, maybe this person you know, maybe yourself, you're right there with him because he's confirming what you've based your whole life on. But then Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness, unless your obedience exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice he doesn't say, unless you're as good as the scribes and Pharisees. He says, unless you are better than them. Make no mistake, there wasn't a category for people better than the scribes and Pharisees. These guys were as good as it gets. Remember, they went to extreme lengths to make sure they didn't even come close to breaking God's law. But Jesus says that the righteousness, the goodness, the obedience of the scribes and Pharisees is not enough to get you into his kingdom. How can Jesus make a claim like that? How could he say that you have to be better than the best person you can think of to get into his kingdom? And remember, when Jesus talks about his kingdom, he's not just talking about where we go when we die. He's talking about anywhere his rule is felt, along with the rest and the healing and the restoration that come with it. So do, do you want to know rest in God? Do you want to know the restoring of your relationships that Jesus' rule brings? Your righteousness has to exceed the best people you know. How can Jesus make a claim like that? How is this possible for us? Well, his very next comments help us to understand. Jesus starts talking about the sixth commandment, don't murder. Probably the most universally agreed upon commandment, right? It's bad to kill other people. And this is probably the easiest one to keep. I mean, if we're going down the list of the Ten Commandments and, and checking off each one, I think most people would be able to check off, don't murder. So Jesus takes the easiest commandment, but then he says that the commandment to not murder extends beyond the physical. In Jesus' mind, insulting someone falls under the commandment, don't murder. In Jesus' mind, anger falls under the command, don't murder. Apparently, you don't have to pull a trigger to be guilty of the sixth commandment. And that's why the righteousness, the goodness, the obedience of the scribes and Pharisees isn't enough. Because it's only external. Sure, they hadn't killed anyone, but they had taken part of other dehumanizing practices. Anger at people, insulting people, verbally abusing people. And if we're honest with ourselves... If I'm honest with myself, so have I, and so have you. Jesus says that our righteousness needs to be more than the best people we know, and the law goes a lot deeper than we imagined. At this point, in response to Jesus' teaching, I think we have two options. Option one, 
we take this teaching from Jesus, we take this deeper understanding that God's law applies not just to my actions, but to my thoughts and my speech as well, and I get to work. I resolve not to speak unkind words. I I resolve not to insult others, not to be angry, because I know now how far the law stretches, so, so now I can go out and I can obey it. That's option one, to get busy, to get to work, to get serious about our obedience. I actually don't think that will work very well. Because my problem has never been that I didn't know it wasn't good to insult others. Right? I've always known that unjust anger at other people is bad. I know that because I don't like it when it's directed at me. And I feel guilty and ashamed when I direct it at others. My problem has never been that I don't know the right thing to do. My problem is that I know the right thing to do and I often choose the opposite. And so a pep talk isn't going to do the trick. Choosing this option, option one, will only force me to hide, to to stuff down my anger, to deny that I even have it, which we know just makes it fester. I might say fewer insulting things, sure, but I'll probably still think them. And I don't think that's really any better. So option one, when we hear Jesus saying that our righteousness has to exceed the best people we know and the law is a lot bigger than we thought it was, option one of working really hard doesn't seem like it will work. But here's option two. We throw up our hands and say, it's too late, right? I I can't do this. It's too late, not just in general, but today, right? I've already failed to do this. And if I'm honest, I'm going to fail again later today and probably tomorrow and probably the day after that. Here's the thing, that's where Jesus actually wants you to go. Because as Jesus says, we need a righteousness, a goodness that exceeds the best people in the world. And when we cry out, it's too late, we finally admit that we're never going to get there. I am never going to be able to become good enough. I am never going to have enough righteousness, obedience, goodness in myself. Again, a pep talk isn't going to do the trick. I need a new heart, and I can't make that happen. A new heart has to be given to me. Isn't it good news, then, that that's exactly what Jesus offers us? His own righteousness, his own goodness, his own obedience. In Jesus, we are given the credit for his perfect peace and patience and kindness and self-control in relationship with others. And in Jesus, I am forgiven and you are forgiven for every angry thought, every insult, voiced or unvoiced, every dehumanizing opinion we've ever thought about anyone else or even ourselves. In Jesus, we are seen, warts and all, and loved anyway, and forgiven anyway. In pointing out to us our inability to obey God's law, Jesus is inviting us to himself because he gives us his obedience. See this. This is important. Jesus is not calling us to busyness. He's not calling us to to really get serious about our lives and get serious about our obedience and and do everything we can to to the end of our strength. He's calling us to rest in the good that he has already done for us. He's calling us to rest in his kindness, his grace, his patience, his gentleness. 
And when we do that, something unique starts to happen. When I realize that Christ has been patient with me, I start to be more patient with others. When I remember Christ's kindness to me, I start to move towards others in compassion and with kindness as well. In other words, when I realize all that God is to me, when I realize Christ's great love for me, I start following this law of God that isn't going anywhere. But now it's not motivated by fear. It's not motivated by pride. It's not motivated by my own effort. It's only motivated by God's love for me. As long as we are trying by our own efforts to obey God's law, we are not going to do it. Ironically, it's only when we finally give up on our efforts and rest in him that we actually start to do what the law requires. But then it comes naturally. It comes freely. It, it's drawn out of us by God's amazing love for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great love that you have shown us in Christ, who knows our sins, who knows our failures better than we do, and loves us in spite of them, who knows our great need better than we do, and meets it with himself. Father, I pray that you would help us to resist the urge to, to be the ones to fix ourselves, to get our acts together, and instead help us to rest in what Jesus has already accomplished and given to us. And pray that that rest would overflow into love towards others that is free from anger. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're a student at Western who is looking for a campus ministry, who's curious about Jesus, or who is simply looking for community, we would love to meet you. Follow us on Instagram at RUF at WCU. That's R-U-F-A-T-W-C-U for details about Bible studies, meetings, events, and more. If you're interested in supporting the work of RUF at Western as we seek to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world, you can do that by visiting www.givetoruf.org or contact us by sending an email to andrew.shank at ruf.org.